got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Beton and Noam Weisman for the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked Wandering Jews as they tackle topics and uncomfortable questions about Israel, Judaism, and Zionism that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers together with their listeners. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. Listen to Wandering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wandering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. You are now listening to The Professional professional homegirls and niggas. It's your girl Ebene from the PHG Podcast, the only place where you will hear interviews from women anonymously on stories that will enlighten and expand on taboo topics. Now, if you hear someone that sounds familiar, mind the bits that pays you, child. If you like the PHG Podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five-star reviews only. Hold me down. Don't hold me up. You can connect with me on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl, at the PXG Podcast, and last but not least at FNA Beauty. If you are all caught up with episodes, listen to bonus episodes by supporting the PXG Podcast Patreon account. To support, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash the PXG Podcast. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. I am super excited about this week's episode as it will be super informative on the topic transracial adoption. I've been doing my research as usual, and I am confident that my guest will be able to shed light on this topic as well as her journey on being a transracial adoptee. So to my guest, how are you feeling? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? 
You know, I am good. I thought today was going to be a little weird. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, the election will be over with. We're yeah. on election night. And I know. Yeah, I know. right? How does it feel for you? I know you're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, It feels all right right now. Me, just, yeah. Yeah, I was just at the store and I was like, kind of like iffy, like, mm, let me go get my prescriptions. But, right. Um. It honestly isn't too bad. We'll see. I do live like downtown, so we'll see what if something pops off or not. But right, um, yeah, it's feeling feeling all right right now. And then we were just talking about because I was like, "Damn, I can't believe like we're in November. Like twenty twenty is out Listen, of here." Where did twenty twenty go? Like, Girl. we really thought we we all had our cute Instagram captions twenty twenty vision. <laughs> Yo, was this year blurry? Come on now. (laughs) Blurry as hell, child. (laughs) Like, come on. It was not what we expected, but you know. We made it through. Well, before we get into your story, tell the audience what is transracial adoption. Yeah, so transracial adoption is essentially when a child is adopted into a home of a different race than their own. Most commonly, this is seen where white adoptive families are adopting children of color. What are some misconceptions of transracial adoption? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, Um, right. I feel like in your interviews, a lot of people didn't really touch on that. And that's a really good question. Right. So there's definitely a savior complex that comes with this, Mm. right? Like these white people are saving these black children, the misconception that black people don't adopt, which is why white um, people are, which is false. I mean, you think about um, in the black community um, or in any community of color, we've been doing kinship care, which is essentially, you know, family taking in Mm. the child for centuries, right? That's a fact, yeah, community. Right, you know so many people who you know, their cousin took them in or they live with their TT or whatever it is. It's just not in a formal big mama legal state. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's a misconception. It just looks different. It, It just takes form in a different way, but there definitely is that aspect. And then, yeah, the savior complex of, you know, white people getting the pat on the back, like they're doing some noble duty. Um, (laughs) And like that's their that's their slide to heaven or whatever it is, you know. Is this a misconception? I read somewhere that black babies cost less than other races when it comes to okay, adoption. Well, the misconception is that a child costs money. <laughs> that's the misconception. Mm. So in private adoption, you are paying for fees. You're paying for an attorney. You're paying legal fees. You're not paying for a child. No one is buying children or should not be. If you right. are, that's trafficking, right? So that's the misconception um, in itself that anything costs money. Now, there are different ways that you can adopt. There's children who are adopted through foster care, which usually that is cheaper if there are any costs at all. Whereas private adoption is completely different and that's going to be out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between, like, what's the difference between an orphanage and adoption? So orphanages are usually something that are, well, first off, 
an orphan is someone who does not have parents. Right. So a lot of times we're seeing orphanages in third world countries where maybe parents have died. Children, most children who are in foster care and are adopted are not orphans because they have parents. They just don't have their parents are not able to care for them or have chosen to relinquish their rights to their child. Mm-hmm. Um, in the States, there are not orphanages. There are group homes and different placement settings, but nothing is going to be an orphanage. And it's especially not what we see as an orphanage, right? Like a hundred kids in one room, not fed, right? Like that's not, yeah, that's not happen. we, we have state and federal regulations right. that don't allow that to happen. So, um, that's that that's what I would say the main difference is do you think there is a negative connotation with transracial adoption and if you do think so why is that I I think it depends so I think from the white lens white people pat white people on the back for adopting right um, like they doing something again, it's just no, right like they doing something um <laughs> I think people in the black community kind of side eye it which in fairness, they are valid in that. Um, there are, you know, there are white people who are racist that adopt black children. Mm. Um, there are people who raise their children to be colorblind. There's a lot of there's a lot of nuances and ignorance that comes with um, white families adopting, mm. especially because a lot of them are middle or upper class white conservative families they don't have the worldview or the understanding, the cultural competency to really care for a Black child and their identity and all that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, of course, that is going to make people weary of white people adopting Black children. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the process for adoption? I mean, I know, I'm pretty sure it's kind of... Extensive, but just like an overview, because I feel like people think it's like one, two, and that's it. But it's like a long process, right? So it can be, yeah. So it depends again between private adoption and um, foster care to adoption. Mm-hmm. So foster care to adoption, foster care, a child has been removed because of abuse or neglect. Right. A child then goes into foster care and you know, within, depends on where you're from, but I don't want to say an exact time, but usually a judge will give the parents a year to 15, 16 months to change whatever, whether that's addiction, you know, start counseling, things like that, to have the child reunified, whether that's gain employment, you know, whatever the circumstances are. Mm-hmm. If that does not happen, then they will look to terminate the parents' rights. That can be done voluntary or involuntary, which parents' rights have to be terminated for adoption to happen. You can't have have new people be your parents when you have parents, right? So that's the process. Now, in private adoption, it's different. A lot of times it's women who are pregnant and um, are not in whatever situation to be parents it's not always a lot of times we think of it as women who you know teenagers people who are drug addicted single people unexpected um there's a lot of different reasons why women choose to place their child for adoption 
Um, and they're not all teens and they're not all, you know, drug addicts. But for whatever reason, they choose to place their child and it's an elected thing mm-hmm. um, that they choose to do. And, you know, they can choose. They have a say in, you know, where the child is placed or can make recommendations. You know, if it's, you know, a black woman, she could say, I would prefer my child be placed in a black home. You know, things like that. Um, but does it always go that way, though? No, right. because there's not always those families, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be a family for them to adopt. And they're not going to keep a child from having permanency. Mm-hmm. So if there's only a white family, they're going to do that. And they can't honor the mother's request based off of the families that they have. Right. But again, mother, you know, parents' rights still have to be terminated for um, a child to be adopted. Mm-hmm. So what what inspired you to work in the adoption field? Well, of course, being adopted. Right. And, you know, at first, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I need to pay it forward, right? I'm adopted, so I should help children be adopted. Mm-hmm. That was when I was like in middle school, high school. But as I grew up, I realized the problematic system of adoption Mm -hmm. and you know there's um a lot of things that can be changed in that system just like Like you know like other areas of our legal system Mm -hmm. um I mean just I mean a lot of times birth families can be villainized and um maybe not treated fairly Mm -hmm. in the process of reunification Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of families, um, there can be generational curses and trauma in there that have led them to the point where their child has been, um, taken from, you know, their custody. And a lot of times we're not working on rehabilitating families or working with them to have their child placed back that, a lot of times the system thinks it's easier to just find them a new yo family. that is such a good point I have a home girl that's a and she literally said the same exact thing you just said right yeah right. That, I mean that, that exact verbiage <laughs> which is crazy to me <laughs> yeah right. because it's a known thing right well let's just erase that and find a new family that's wealthier live in a better part of town and right. then we can we can move on to saving the next child and that's one unfair to the child and traumatic to them and their family right um, the point of adoption should not be to erase a child's family I, you know we shouldn't even be seeing as many adoptions as we are because hopefully we're doing everything and exhausting all resources to have that child back in the home mm-hmm. Reunification should be the goal. Family preservation should always be our priority. Mm. How long have you been in the field? Um, about a year and a half. And what and what were the challenges you faced while working in this field? Because I can only imagine, like, since this is close to home, like you're able to spot certain things out like immediately. Yes, I definitely am able to spot things out immediately, but. I have to not act on emotion and act professionally. Mm. And I always have to have professional backing. Mm -hmm. 
in the decisions that I make, mm. which can be difficult. Right. Um, especially, I don't work for a county. I work for an affiliate agency, but um, sometimes I don't always agree with the decisions that are being made or, you know, I have a different opinion based on my interaction with the mm-hmm. child. Um, and that can be difficult. That can be really, really difficult. I can when imagine. You see something or hear something different than what others are being told or what they observe. Mm. Mm. So being that you are a transracial adoptee, what did your family unit look like? <laughs> Why do um, you laugh? <laughs> because my I I have a white family. <laughs> I lived in a white small town of like come on now don't be um, laughing now <laughs> and listen no because it's like it's all I ever yeah. knew right but it never felt right mm. well that was gonna be my next like, question because I know you said that you felt it felt uncomfortable yeah. yeah and a lot of that was because of family members othering me right like they made it clear that I was adopted they would say like oh like joke about well no one's gonna think we're cousins because I mean you're black I mean look at Mm. you right so how can you feel comfortable in a space where you're being told you're not one of us right Mm -hmm. um that of course is gonna make you feel uncomfortable and as I've grown up there's been other forms of uncomfortability that have taken place like political Mm -hmm. right when your family doesn't believe that black lives matter mm. okay yeah, how, how do you deal with and that for me for me it's extended family so it's easier mm-hmm. now i know adoptees that it is um their immediate family it's parents older siblings younger siblings that have it's not a political view it's a value it's a mm. moral right black lives mattering is not political my life mattering <laughs> Me being alive is not political. Mm. Um, but there are those differences in values. And I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when these people that have, to some degree, welcomed you and loved you as family can say, I love you, but. Right. Right. Um, and for me, I'm grown. I'm growing. Uh, you can say what like, you got. You can pop off. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't pop off because I don't go to family events because I believe that my sanity and my um, own self preservation is of higher priority than to appease an aunt or uncle that I don't get along with. Mm-hmm. Um, I will protect my peace at all costs now. And I don't need to go to those events. I really don't. I don't care if it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever. I will make my own family and I will build my own traditions because that's unhealthy. And a lot of times adoptees are growing up in these situations and can't break free of them. Well, I have two questions. What does your, because I feel like your mom from the interviews I've seen and heard from you and read about you and your family. I feel like your mom is very supportive of you. So, like, how does that make? Do you get? Do you ever get a chance to speak to her about those situations and how it makes you feel? And like, what does she do? So, 
growing up, I never really talked about these issues because while my parents are supportive, they're also very, they're not very confrontational people. Mm. They're definitely like peacemakers. And so for me, my thought process was, I'm not going to tell them because it's going to be more hurtful if I tell them and they don't do anything than if they don't know, right? So I really didn't talk about any of the problems or issues or concerns that I had with other family members until like three months ago. Um, Yeah, so it's more recent. I can imagine how you've been feeling because it got to be like, like building up. Yeah, yeah you about to go black out on somebody. <laughs> listen, listen, I be telling people that my new saying is I'm saved but a sinner and you will catch all this. That is like for real, for real because one, I'm not a child. Again, I'm grown. You're not going to sit here and talk to me like that. And I had cousins who would make jokes about, oh, well, you know, the fried chicken, watermelon. But, oh, like wow. basic ignorant stuff but it's developed again into the you know I think it was two years ago one of my cousins says your people Mm, your people (laughs) right like your people and then they said like a pet peeve about black people and I was like first off what you're not gonna do Right. right but though those are the things that are said all the time in passing and when you grow up with that you kind of think it's normal it never feels comfortable or like you know you just kind of laugh and shrug it off because ain't nobody backing yeah. you up everyone's just there laughing with them so you just like go My with people, it wow man and then <laughs> they are yeah. they're crazy But then, you know, I went away to college and I started healing from some of my adoption trauma and I realized that a lot of white people are whack, but there's not all of them are. Um, And, you know, I just realized that that's not okay. And so I either did not go to those things or, you know, they can catch these things. Yeah, they better try Jesus and not me, child. They're going to catch these hands. I do, and I really would, um, which is another reason why I wouldn't go to family functions because at the end of the day, I'm going to be viewed. Yeah, and I'm going to be viewed as the bad one. Automatically. Right? Like, I'm already the cousin, like, I'm the right? right? Like, I'm the one that be, I'm the one that they be side-eyeing because... I got a right. Uh, one thing that I liked about your, uh, I learned from your interviews is, you know, I don't think people understand the correlation between the grieving process and being an adoptee. And mm. when you was breaking it down, well, you didn't even get a chance to break it down, but I was just piecing certain interviews together. And I was like, damn, like, I didn't even think about that because you're literally burying your old life in a sense or grieving it. Yeah. Yeah. And even, yeah, and I mean, I was adopted as an infant. I went home to live with my now family at four months old, but it it is, it's a loss. I mean, but you also got to think you don't have the closure. It, you don't have closure, right? I don't know anything about my family. I know that they're out there. My birth family's out there living their life. Do you want to get to know them? Where I'm not there. Um, I think that's something that I, as an adoptee, go back mm-hmm. and forth about. Um, there's no guarantee, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, well, like you should reach out to your mom or your dad 
and you know it'll be great I know adoptees who their parents have they have secondary trauma from being rejected mm. a second oh time. my god I couldn't even imagine yeah right like, the right? like already painful there you know and there there are parents who want to meet their child um and be a part of their life and you know are in a different stage in life than when they place their child. There are also parents and family members who don't want anything to do with that child. Um, and a lot of that is their own hurt mm-hmm. and grief. Um, or shame. Yeah. It's not always just like, I don't get right. right. But it's, there's, there, there's feelings there that they have to uncover. And yeah, I, there are adoptees who face that secondary rejection and that's yeah. brutal you that is that is I don't know and so I I think part of it is fear that I'm not interested I also just think that I need to figure out I need to be content in who I am so that that doesn't mm-hmm. affect me and it's not detrimental to me yeah. and my mental health and my mental state and I'm not sure if I'm in right. that place yet so I know that you spoke about like feeling isolated on your just your just upbringing. How did you like get past that, or do you still deal with that? I've definitely worked mm-hmm. through it, but I mean, I can. T- I feel like I'm still developing my racial identity as mm. a black woman. I feel like I'm behind in the times in a way. You think so? because well I mean I didn't grow up in a black community right so like I just don't have that connection those deep rooted connections to other black Mm. people you know so it's like or even references like my boyfriend's black and he'll talk about like shows that he watched growing up or like music references from like the 90s and stuff and I'm like who what and right. it's difficult because I want to know those things. But it's like when you have 18, you know, I didn't start until I was like in college or even now. It's like that's 18 to 20 plus years of a lack of or very little connections to black mm. culture. That's yeah. hard. And a lot of times it feels like you know, there's this racial imposter. Oh, that's my next question. <laughs> right? Like, a lot of times white people are like, oh, you mm-hmm. Or black people are like, girl, but you was raised by them white folk. Like, okay, one, I can't help. Right. Like, I didn't have like, a choice in none of this. I can't have, <laughs> right. I didn't have a choice. And I don't associate with any part of white culture. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, right? Like, but I felt a pressure to assimilate to it to when I was growing up. I went to an all-white mm-hmm. school. And you that were racist like, too when you was in um school. Yeah. 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 But like everybody was in middle school and high school. Don't nobody want to be the sore thumb. Don't nobody want right. to be the weird one. And I always was because I was mm. a black girl. And I did not like country music and I did not like Taylor Swift and the other things that my white peers did. But those were the only people. I didn't have a choice. Mm. And I noticed that you were very active when you was growing up too, but I can only imagine how exhausted it must have been to be around these people. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was definitely exhausting because I was just, I did a lot. Yeah, I was involved with a lot of things, but I felt like part of me wanting to be involved and stay busy was so that I didn't have downtime to think of how, like, depressed I was about being adopted and how Mm. lonely I was. And I was always worried about, like, a racial incident popping Mm. off. (laughs) No, that's real shit. I can imagine um, that used to drive you crazy. Right. So for me, being involved and, like, being high-achieving... Not necessarily my grades all the time, but mm-hmm. anyways, but it gained me credibility. I wasn't the ghetto mm. black girl. Like a lot of the black people just by default were mm. ghetto, but I was a high achieving girl. I was president of my class for three years. I was president of my whole high school senior year. I was on homecoming court, right? And I worked hard to be seen in a certain light so that if something popped off, I couldn't be seen as something than other than what mm. I was. Yeah, that's deep, man. And you know, a lot of people were like, well, how are you talking bad about your high school experience when you devoted time to it? It was a, yeah. it was a chess move. Again, it was to allow myself credibility if something happened. Mm. I know one thing you were saying when you um, when you be out with your family and people will like look at y'all and say things and stuff and I'm just like what? Oh my gosh. Yeah. People will. They definitely will. And did somebody tell y'all um, I mean some people, people are nice. should be people, like some shit like that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah people yeah people be like oh I'm sure you're so thankful to your parents for what they did for you or wow, your parents are just amazing, right? Like, implying that I need to, like, worship the ground that they walk on. Walk on. And, you know, that's just... Yeah, like, that's crazy. Bull, like... Um, and I, I tell people, I don't have to be any more thankful than your right. children. And the thing is, the funny thing is, when you think about it, you, you know, if you, not all the time are biological right. children planned, right? My parents consciously sought out an adoption agency, right? So, like, they made this whole choice to be parents. It was a conscious decision. I don't have to be thankful. Like, your children, whether they were planned or unplanned, don't owe you something, right? Like, people place this burden on me. Like I have to pay. Like, I had no decision in that. Like, <laughs> right, right. I didn't. Right. I had yes, exactly. I didn't have a ch- decision to be. I didn't have a choice in being birthed. I didn't have a choice in being placed. I didn't have a choice in being placed in a white freaking family right. town. And now you're telling me that I have to be thankful. Ooh, white people, wow, child. Mm. So how mm. were you introduced to Black culture? Because I feel like your parents were very aware and supportive of embracing the color of your skin. Yeah, my parents are a lot better than a lot of other white adoptive parents that I see. Um, I know white adoptive parents that are scared of right. grown Black people. And it's like, but you... Yeah, because this little baby sense. is going to grow up to be grown. Right. 
Yeah, and my mom used to take me to, you know, hair salons. They would take my brother to a barber shop. Um, I went to a dance studio like half an hour from my house where mm-hmm. there was other black kids. And so I had like little tastes of it, like, you know, a little. She also learned my how to foot turn roll, which I thought but... was cool. Because <laughs> I'm like, at least she's trying to yeah. trying to see these little black and brown babies with their hair looking all crazy and nappy and stuff. Girl. Yeah, listen, and my mom's still to this day, because I'll be like, you know, I'm grown. Like, I keep saying I'm grown. But, like, you know, I go out looking half a mess because, you know, I'm, like, going to the store to get stuff. And my mom will be like, well, I'm not going with you because they're going to think I didn't teach you how to do your hair. Yeah. But she will, or for my little sister who's still in high school, she'll be like, uh-uh, we are not going. You can't go to the mall. You better go wash your hair and, you know, do all this because I'm not going to have them thinking I'm some white mom that right. you while you're looking ashy. Because there are a lot who do, but I'm, that is something that I appreciate about my mom is that she learned to braid and do my hair. And if she didn't know how, mm-hmm. she would take me somewhere. She wasn't too prideful to do that. And, you know, we would have people come out in the store, like black people would be like, oh, like who does her hair? Or like, you know, but like in a helpful way to my mom, like, oh, like, you should try using this on her scalp or whatever, whatever. And my mm-hmm. mom is always receiving of that. And a lot of times when I talk to white adoptive parents, they're like, how do I respond when they say something you. about my daughter's hair? <laughs> I'm like, right. Or they'll be like, but they're like giving me advice. And it's like, then accept it. Like, right. you don't know black hair. And when your child is bald headed, like she ain't got no edges. You don't be putting nothing in it. <laughs> right like then there's obviously a reason so that is something that I appreciate about my parents that they did do that but that isn't enough right like I didn't have deep rooted connections mm. to black people like okay I dance with you but right. you dancing <laughs> like we went to an all white church I went to an all white school I didn't have many black friends I didn't know many black parents that could be like mm. aunties and uncles so how, are you, so how are you making connections now yeah I mean I think just putting myself in places where there are other black people it's not like I go up to a black person and I'm like I'm yearning connections right. with black people be my friend right but like I go to a black church not and a lot of that is because of comfort right like I feel more comfortable you're a black woman right. I am black so Bella no right. where can you just go? like any <laughs> right like like any other black person so things like that I don't know like I just have some good um you know I recently moved out here but I have some good girlfriends who like live near Baltimore so I go out with them and they show mm-hmm. me you know we do things I like make people take me places mm-hmm. to their people and hang out but um, you know, COVID has made it hard because mm-hmm. I had just moved here where I am now. But to me, it's natural. Right. It's not anything that I force. And it's not like I'm shunning all white people. Like some of my best friends are still white that I grew up with or that I went to college with. But the thing is, there will always be a gap between me well, and they don't understand. because they right. don't understand the black experience. Right. And so 
I can still love them wholeheartedly, but they right. will never understand me like another right, black woman. I can look at you and see what's going on with you. <laughs> Period. And it's just it's just a different vibe too. It's a different vibe. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna be around my white friends being like right. that nigga, right? Like, right? Because then they think they can say that. And again, I will throw mm-hmm. hands. I will throw hands. I will absolutely. So you know, there's just a difference, and that's kind of like where oh code man, code switching is a motherfucker though. Like Jesus Christ, it is. It yeah, yeah. It uh, it's exhausting. Like I mean, you gotta do it, especially when you're in certain rooms and stuff. But man, right. But I didn't even realize the extent of my code switching until like one of my white friends in college she came into my dorm room where I was on the phone with one of my black guy friends and she was like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh like I literally didn't know what you were saying and like would need to look at Urban Dictionary and I was like first of all you don't need to know what I'm saying because it don't like first of all why are you listening to my conversation don't do that (laughs) Right, like you and my business, <laughs> don't do that. So, um, you know, so it definitely has been, but that's mm-hmm. been my whole life. So I'm just, yeah, it is exhausting. But I guess I'm just used I mean, to it. Get to where we gotta get um, to. Yeah, but I think it's also funny because now that I've like developed mm-hmm. my racial identity. And I'm confident in who I am as a black woman. You know, sometimes I'd be falling through the cracks and I'd just be out here. And like my white friends or like white people would be like, oh my gosh, you seem so like aggressive mm-hmm. or like louder. Or like, right. Or like, you know, you just seem more of like a liberal person. And I'm like, mm-hmm. since it was always here, y'all just didn't see it because, you know, you ain't need to. But I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I am who I am. And at this point in my life, right. I'm just like, you can take it or leave it. And you're still growing, so you're going to keep evolving. And that so goes it's for just like, Stop playing with right. me. This is mm-hmm. me. <laughs> right. Listen. Right. And I think a lot of times um, people, especially adults that knew me when I was younger, still view mm-hmm. me as a cute little black baby. And they question my intelligence and intellect mm-hmm. and my maturity mm-hmm. and my womanhood. Do you think there is benefits for, with uh, with being adopted by a white family? Mm. No. <laughs> no, only reason why I well, asked, I mean, because obviously there's nothing like a black household, but reason why I'm asking because I'm just thinking of like, maybe like for financial reasons, different opportunities, different resources. So I was just thinking about that. Here's the thing. Being adopted right. does not promise you a better life. There are adopted parents mm. who have murdered their children, mm. abused their children. Adoption does not promise you a better life. While, and I mean, I also can't speak because this is all I've ever known. So I can't speak to, to the what right. of what my life would have been. Everything that I am, everything that I've become is because mm-hmm. I was adopted. But the hurt and pain and grief that I've dealt with, 
right I would never go through again like adoptees are four times Mm -hmm. more likely to commit suicide than their peers there's a reason Mm -hmm. for that and that's a weight that Mm. no one should have to bear and so I I I can't say that it's I think there are benefits I mean I went Mm -hmm. to a private liberal arts college but (laughs) you know that's amazing that's great but you know I can't speak to what my post high school life would have been like if I wasn't adopted could have been worse it could have been the same it could have been better um who knows did you ever think think about what a life would have been like I mean of course I think everyone does but that's asking adoptees the impossible right you're asking me to choose between a life and everything good and bad and a life that I've never known right like I don't know I don't know what the circumstances were I don't know if I would have been living beneath the poverty line and doing who knows what I you know who I could have been just fine in a middle class family Mm -hmm. or working class family like they're that's really hard mm. and impossible. But do you think question. since you, your immediate family was very loving and supportive, does that, do you think they would ever fill that void of the what ifs or no? Um, mm-hmm. No, because there were still voids though. They didn't, they, there were things that were met, but there were still mm. voids. And I don't think people would ever understand unless they're in that position. Right. Right. And also, just also knowing that being adopted by a Black family still not, wouldn't solve all right. those voids. It would solve some of them, like, you know, the racial voids, but there's still grief and loss in adoption. The race aspect just adds an added mm. So in what ways did counseling help you? Whew. It was the first time I ever heard mm. that adoption was trauma. I'd never known that until I went to counseling in college and also just realizing that the root of a lot of my issues were because of my adoption my self-esteem my um a lot of relationship things because like in college I like started dating I didn't really do that in high school I didn't (laughs) care for the white boys but um but you know I realized that a lot of my trust self-esteem my worth in myself was rooted in feeling unworthy, unlovable right? because I was adopted. My lack of belonging was because I had never belonged in mm. a space fully. Right? So there was a lot of those things that I realized were, oh my gosh, were rooted in my adoption. But it was hard for me because, again, I was adopted as a baby. So how can something that I don't remember from when I was four months old be affecting me so deeply at 18 that was hard for me and especially because people were telling Mm. me you need to be thankful right and so I was never allowed the space before then to think of my adoption as anything other than the greatest thing that has ever happened to me Mm. so what is an advice you would give to our listeners that if they are um, adoptees that are struggling with identity crisis Find 
people. There is a space for you. And you know that there is a space. You just have to find it. And it's uncomfortable. It can feel lonely at times, but you will find a space and know that you are worthy. Know that you are loved. Mm -hmm. Um, Seek therapy. Seek therapy. Um, Overcome the uncomfortability of being in a space that you want to feel comfortable in, right? Like for me at points, it was intimidating going into black spaces because I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm the white black girl or, you know, whatever, but I had to overcome that because that's where I knew I belonged and that's where I knew I would feel at peace and at home and could break down those walls mm-hmm. and barriers that I'd built up. And finding other adoptees, I think that's a great thing too because I can speak and talk to other Black women or Black men about the Black experience, mm-hmm. but they don't understand the adoptee experience. And so finding other Black adoptees that can relate to those intersections of life has been Yeah, really I was on your page, and me. I feel like the, um, the transracial adoptee community is, like, deep. It is because those, again, those are intersections yeah. that no one else Y'all are deep. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but like you have to be like we ain't here for the small talk and the kikis and hahas. Like it's like where are you mm-hmm. in life? How is your heart? What mm-hmm. what are you struggling with? Because we are the only people who can understand that and can be like, Oh mm-hmm. yeah, my parents are crazy too, girl. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, you ain't go home. Yeah. All right, come over, baby. Okay, I'll be That's traumatizing to be like Those this is your family, but they fucking crazy, like it is right and that's I literally posted on my story uh, last night and today like if you are a transracial adoptee and you feel unsafe please let me know I don't care where you are I will find something I will find someone to buy you a hotel to stay I will try and find someone near you who is safe because our mental health our emotional health and a lot of times even our physical health is compromised mm. being in white spaces. Yeah, that's that's really sad. But I'm glad that you're doing the work, you and your community, because it is I know there's certain people and you're one of them and I see y'all like really like getting it out the mud, like really trying to create a safe space for uh, yeah. people that are like you and only y'all can understand each other and like really provide the tools and the resources that's needed. So I think that's really dope. Really dope. Thank you. Being that you work in this field, um, what is some advice you would give to those individuals that would like to adopt babies from different races? Yeah, definitely do your research and find out. Also, your child of a different race should not be your first friend (laughs) of that race, right? If you've never had a Black friend, your child shouldn't be, but don't be going and befriending black right, people. Right, right. Don't do that. I'm gonna need you to already. I'm not racist. My baby black up there, <laughs> right? Like, right. But your first black friend should not be your black child, and you shouldn't start caring about about black lives at the point where you have a child, right? Like, you have to have some cultural competency and awareness mm. before you bring a child into your home. 
and you should be having those supports and you know a child should see themselves in the Mm -hmm. home right representation matters um and I think that's super important and again like the the mental health piece of it whether you are adopting a child of the same race or a different race and understanding that this is trauma and being willing to you know take part in services for your child for them to be safe Mm. healthy and happy I think that are really important things and don't think that just because you went through an agency and you did like 12 hours like no enough because right like that is not equipping you to understand the complexities of diversity and inclusion (laughs) right like that is not enough and you know I'm being dramatic it's more than 12 hours but you know what I'm saying like there's not extensive enough training in those orientations for you to completely grasp what it is like but it's not wrong to spot a different race white people for adopting black babies okay because I, 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 I still just, do I don't know I just, it just makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes yeah right because again a lot of mm-hmm. them do have that savior complex they think they're untouchable. They they don't want to hear that right. their child is half bald headed, <laughs> and that that they that's their fault. They don't want to hear that. You know, them still voting for Trump still mm-hmm. makes them racist, even though they have a black child. They don't want to hear that they are further traumatizing and causing an inevitable. Um, identity crisis for their child by mm-hmm. only surrounding them with white people. So, no, I don't think it's necessarily bad. Um, and I would just hope, you know, if you do see someone like that, or if you continue to see them, that, you know, you kind of reach out to them because the I don't care about yeah. what about their parents' feelings. I don't. Mm-hmm. But I care about their child. And I bet you in some way, shape, and form that child is mm-hmm. feeling something that they are not sharing mm-hmm. with their family. And they deserve to feel supported mm-hmm. and safe. Do you think you would ever adopt? I go back and forth with this. Um, mm-hmm. I could potentially see it. Again, I think it's one of those things where adoptees are kind of felt as though we need to pay it forward. And I don't know. I also want, I hope that I can have my own children. I've never known mm. anyone who looks like me. Um. I want to know what a little mini me would look like. I don't I don't know what my siblings look like. I don't know what my parents look like. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of sad, right? Everyone, you know, you hear all the time from people right. like, oh, you look just like mm-hmm. your mom. Oh, you look just like your dad. I've never had that. Um, and so mm-hmm. I definitely want to experience that as well. But I am definitely keeping in contact with you. Like I said, I have a couple of things I'm working on. Have you around some sisters? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And I just really appreciate you sharing your story and shedding more light on the transracial adoption community. And also just being a voice and an advocate for those black and brown babies that are in the system. And you just, you know, doing what you have to do to advocate for them. And your story has definitely inspired me. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh, yeah, I was like hounding her. I'm like, I hope she answered my email. <laughs> Again, I was like, girl, I know you speak me in your inbox. <laughs> like, stop playing with me. <laughs> Don't put me on blast like that. <laughs> he was like, oh, I was going to get wrong. <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right, girl. Yeah, you tried it. <laughs> no, but you my people, man. I really do appreciate what you're doing. So if you want to learn more about my guest, you have any questions. Thank you. This probably won't be the last time that you hear from her on my platform. Please make sure to email me at hello at the phcpodcast.com. And until next time, everyone, later. You're not going to say bye? <laughs> <laughs> Bye, sorry. <laughs> Wait, Bye, y'all. So bad. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.